if you're able and willing, I'd like to ask you to do something with me. Just uh, open up your palms to the ceiling and um, let's, let's, let's pray together. God, as we open up our hands to you, uh, God, may this be a visual uh, reminder of open hearts. God, regardless of how we came today or why we came, will you, through the power of your spirit, through the power of your word, uh, through the power of the risen Christ, will you teach us? Father, if there are those in the room who don't yet know you, uh, they've yet to place their faith and trust in you, God, may you teach them something that draws them into your life for the first time. God, for those who are already followers, may you draw us to places of repentance, uh, conviction, joy, and hope. God, may you encourage this morning uh, that we might live faithful lives. And it's in your name we trust, in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. I just think sometimes it's helpful to visualize our openness to the Father. Proverbs chapter 9, uh, verse 10, says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning uh, of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Uh, there is a lot of commentary about fear right now in our culture. Uh, what should you be afraid of? Uh, how, how should fear govern your choices in regards to A, B, C, or D? And often, I think our perspective on fear is that it is wholly negative. Uh, we look at fear as being something that restrains, something that restricts, uh, something that's somewhat of a, a straitjacket, a prison, a cage that keeps us from experiencing something. And we use fear to describe that um, uncomfortable, unpleasant emotion or feeling we get when we believe that something could cause us pain or harm. Now, whether that's physical pain and harm or, or whether that's emotional pain or harm, maybe even death uh, or loss, uh, that's what we describe fear as. And so we talk about people who are afraid or have the fear of shots. They call that trypanophobia, by the way. Um, if you have a child, a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, maybe yourself, maybe a sibling who's scared of a needle, that's trypanophobia. And what's that fear? It's this unpleasant feeling that that shot, it's going to hurt me, right? It's going to cause pain. And so we build up in our minds how bad it's going to be before it ever happens. It's this fear. Some people are scared of heights. I didn't used to be scared of heights, and then I fell uh, about 15 feet in a cave and landed on my head, and guess what? Now I have a fear of heights. Like, I wonder, am I going to slip and fall, and what's that fear truly rooted in? What's going to cause me pain, or, or will I even die? Like, I was lucky I survived the first time. That's acrophobia, uh, the fear of heights. Uh, I learned this week that some people are afraid of squirrels. They have a fear of squirrels, of all things. Uh, that's skirophobia, by the way. Um, if you YouTube skirophobia and a fear of squirrels, 
Uh, you can find some pretty cool video montages of people who are in public parks and the squirrels have been fed too much and uh, the squirrels get really friendly and people freak out. Um, if you are afraid of squirrels, by the way, that sounds probably very insensitive and so um, I'm not making fun of you, but in my mind it's a humorous picture, if that makes any sense at all. Um, but fear is usually something that's negative. When we talk about it not only with tangible pain or death, uh, but it's also emotional pain and loss. We have a fear of disappointment. We have a fear of rejection. Uh, we have a fear of losing people that we love. Uh, some people have nightmares about losing people that are part of their lives and no longer being a fear of abandonment. Like there's all kinds of things that um, counselors and psychologists can help us work through, but it's rooted in this unpleasant feeling of what happens if I lose? What happens if this hurts? What happens if, and that's how we associate fear. And so fear has this very negative connotation for us. But what if we could come to the place where we realize that not all fears are created equal? What if there is a fear that not only, uh, that won't restrict you, that won't restrain you, but instead of leaving you hindered or restrained, it releases you and brings you freedom and fullness and hope and life. And that's what the writer of Proverbs is getting at, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we come to this place of proper fear, holy fear, healthy fear in God, it actually leads us, it's a beginning to a place of wise living, of goodness, of assurance, of fullness. And people that are governed by a holy fear, by a healthy fear, they live inspiring lives of faith. When people have a holy and healthy fear of God, they live inspiring lives of faith. And what could that look like for you uh, and for me? I'm inspired by stories from history of people who lived in a holy and healthy fear of God, and God used them to do mighty things. Uh, one of my favorites is Paul. Um, uh, they do surveys about who would you most like to meet from the Bible, and often on the top of that list is the Apostle Paul, this great missionary. Uh, is credited with writing two-thirds of our New Testament. Uh, Paul, um, the reason why I'm inspired by his faith is that he faced a number of situations that for you and me would have crippled us with fear. He tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, that he was lashed on a couple of occasions, just short of 40 lashes each time. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned by people throwing rocks at him. That's incredible. He faced all kinds of dangers. He lists them. He was shipwrecked on a couple of occasions. We know that Paul was imprisoned because of his faith, and yet he kept telling people about Jesus. He kept following God. He kept honoring God. It was this inspiring faith, but it was fueled by this holy fear of God. That encounter in Acts chapter 9 of Paul on the road to Damascus, he was Saul at that time, and this bright light blinds him. Jesus speaks to him and appears to him, like there's a moment where he came to be in awe of God. This fear then governed his life, a holy and healthy fear that inspired him to live this amazing life of faith. But it's not just people we find in scripture. Like this is repeated throughout history in people that come to faith in God. This holy and healthy fear inspires them to live bold and courageous lives and face things that you and I just like are amazed by. I think of a, a man that lived towards the end of Paul's life and beyond. His name is Polycarp. Polycarp was a follower of Jesus. Uh, he actually was trained by the Apostle John. You know, John and James, disciples of Jesus among the 12. And uh, so, so John helped instruct Polycarp. 
Polycarp lived in Rome in a time where Rome was not agreeable to Christianity. Um, There were several emperors in the early part of Christianity that just thought Christianity was a threat to Rome. And so they persecuted, they hurt, they um, pressured and intimidated followers of Jesus. And Polycarp was one of those. At the age of 86, his friends learned that he was going to be arrested. And Polycarp had shared with them that he was going to be burned at the stake. He had this vision that he would be burned alive at the stake. And he had shared that with his friends. And they hear that the Roman authorities are coming for him. And they say, hey, you got to go run. You got to go hide. You got to go flee. And here is Polycarp's response. Uh, No thanks. Uh, May God's will be done. Like That takes some boldness to know that people are coming to get you. And you're like, no, uh, whatever honors God. Uh, I'm okay with that. So he gets arrested and he gets brought before the proconsul, the governing leader from Rome in that area, and there's this debate that ensues between them, and the proconsul gets irritated, and so he threatens Polycarp. He says, I'm going to feed you to the beasts in the arena or burn you at the stake. And Polycarp, instead of kind of cowering and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, here, here, here are his words. Check these out. He says, come. Why do you delay? Do what you may. Can you imagine facing a governing authority threatening to feed you to beasts, burn you alive? I don't know about you, but when I think about negative fears, things that can maybe cripple me, things that I'm afraid might hurt or cause death, being fed to wild beasts and being burned alive may be near the top of that list. And yet Polycarp says, essentially, bring it. When... when when he's then grabbed by the soldiers and taken, and they're preparing to fasten him with nails to the stake to be burned. That was the common practice. Uh, he, he says this to them. He says, leave me as I am. For he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain in the pyre unmoved without the security you desire from nails. He says essentially, guys, you don't need the nails. I'll stay here, and God's going to enable me to endure. I'm not going to run away because I have his strength. Is that not crazy? That's like resolve, that's faith, that's boldness, and it's inspiring to me. It's not just Polycarp. About 200 years after Polycarp was uh, the story of a woman named Perpetua. She was a noble woman, uh, a follower of Jesus in the northern part of Africa, the southernmost part of the Roman Empire, and uh, an emperor came to power, uh, emperor like Optimus Severus or something like that, and then he wanted to cripple the Christian faith, and so uh, he was targeting North Africa, and here is Perpetua along with four other uh, new believers. One of them is her servant girl, and they're taking classes uh, in order to enrich this newfound faith, and they're arrested, and they're taken to prison. Perpetua has a young infant child. Her father is an unbeliever, and so she brings to the prison each day this infant son so Perpetua can nurse the child. And each day she asks, he asks her, will you just deny your faith? If you deny your faith, you can come home, you can live, you can nurture your child, everything's going to be okay. And she keeps saying, no, I cannot deny my faith. Here are her words to him when he becomes more insistent, insistent with, her plea, with his pleas. Uh, She says, it will all happen in the prisoner's dock as God wills, for you may be sure that we are not left to ourselves, but are all in his power. This young mother, uh, being bold and courageous, inspiring faith, and it's fueled by this holy and healthy fear of God. Uh, Perpetua's story meets a a ghastly end. Uh, She and these four friends are sentenced to death in the arena. 
Uh, they're charged by uh, what the diary, when it's translated into English, says were giant heifers. So these big cows throw them around the arena. Uh, leopards are released. And when that doesn't do the trick to get them to deny Christ, uh, the gladiators in their lives with swords. And yet they remain true to their faith to the end. How do we become people who live that type of inspiring faith? It, it stems from this, this overarching uh, fear, healthy and holy fear of God. If you're like me, sometimes you hear those stories and you don't question their validity. You're like, I, I guess that's probably true. We can find it in history books. We can find it in these ancient documents. But it just seems kind of distant from us. Like, like what does that look like today? Um, I'd encourage you, and I'll encourage you again at the end of the message to check out places like the Voices of the Martyrs. Uh, Google that, uh, Open Doors USA. Um, check out Fox's Book of Martyrs or DC Talks Jesus Freak book, and you can hear story after story from past and present of men and women who faithfully follow Jesus because they live out of this holy fear, this healthy fear of God. Uh, but because I know there's a disconnect sometimes, I wanted you to see something from much more recent history. And so what you're about to watch is a four-minute clip that comes from a documentary that an organization called Christ in Youth uh, released here about seven years ago called Love Costs Everything. In fact, I think you can still find it on Netflix if you want to watch the whole thing. But it chronicles the story of some believers in Iraq. And so check this out. If anybody walked down these streets, they'd be taken and killed. Do you want to try it? The kidnappings of the Christians have been very, very considerable. We used to have 1.2 million Christians in Iraq. Now we have probably got less than 200,000. As a Christian in Iraq, you don't know, maybe you will be killed or kidnapped or blow up. They blew up before the Our Lady of Salvation Church. They, they blew up many many house, Christians' house, and been killed. Because why? Because they are Christians. did that for an hour and a half. In the end, they turned around and shot him. And there he is between his two parents. 
enough, enough. The tourists enter from the front gate. One sister here, she was sit down. The brother was sit down here. They throw grenades from the door to here, and he took the grenade and throw it down there. The black, you can see. His sister then cut her hands, and she went, she moved, she made her fingers here. You can see her blood. Look, explosive here. And his piece of body still. family, all of them, family now is broke. Who will look after them? God. And even though all these terrible things are happening, the fact is that I am not scared and many of our people are not scared. And people say to me, why are you not scared? And I say, because perfect love casts out all fear. And here at the Church of St. George, we have real, absolute love for each other. Men and women, like you and me, another part of the world, who face things that could be crippling fears. And yet because they fear God uh, above all else, because they appreciate and they stand in awe of who He is and what He's able to do and is doing, uh, they can face things. That, that, the words of that pastor when he says... Um, People ask me, am I scared? And I say, I'm not scared. Many of our people aren't scared. And they say, why? Because perfect love casts out all fear. Not all fears are created equal. And there is a fear, the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom that can speak into and help us process and order anything else in this life uh, that, that could cause us to be restricted or restrained in an unhealthy fear. As we study the Gospel of Luke, uh, we're coming to this place as Jesus moves towards Jerusalem, and essentially the heat is being turned up on the fire. Uh, Jesus knows, he's already been saying that he will die, the, the sign of Jonah, just as Jonah is in the... Uh, belly of the whale for three days, so the Son of Man must be in the earth. Like, he's beginning to point towards uh, this coming death, this difficulty that awaits. And as he feels the pressure, we saw last week in Luke chapter 11, the, the, the Pharisees and the warning he gave to them, and they interrogate him afterwards. Like, all this pressure is mounting that causes those that are interested in Jesus and those that are invested in Jesus 
to, to wonder, am I really doing the right thing? Like they're at this moment, will they persevere in following him and honoring him and being faithful, or will they give in to the pressure of the other fear, the fear of what the religious leaders might say, might do, how they might be treated, what might happen to their lives, will they suffer? Jesus has already said at this point in this, in this gospel that um, we'll have to pick up our crosses and follow him. Like, like there's difficulty ahead, and so what's coming? And so as we think about that, what Jesus does in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, is basically he gives this talk that should inspire confidence in those that are interested and invested in his life, to know that they can remain faithful no matter what happens because of who God is. And so he's drawing their minds to this healthy and holy fear of God that should lead them to leave these lives of faithfulness and um, inspiring faith for the people around them and even for us. And how he does it is he gives a warning to the disciples and then he continues on speaking to them. And in the process of the warning and what he shares, he highlights uh, three characteristics of God. They're not explicit. It's not that he says, hey, God is this. But how he talks about God is a reminder of who God is and why he's deserving of our absolute reverence and awe, that we should have this holy and healthy fear of him. And so if we can be people who fear God more than anything else, um, it will help us process other fears. Here's a way to think of it. Um, if, if there's a job opening, there are a number of applicants that apply for that job, right? And if you're the employer, your goal is to find the most qualified candidate. And so you look for the list of qualifications, the list of experience, and you find that candidate that says, okay, they're the ones that really should have this position. They should occupy that role. In your heart, there's a place for fear. And there are various fears applying for that job opportunity. But there's only one fear that has unmatched qualifications and unmatched experience. And, and, and that's to fear God. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. And so here we'll see these attributes of God to see his qualifications to be the one we fear above all else, to order everything else in our lives. I'm going to give you a series of words that begin with um, uh, the uh, word omni, okay? We're going to look at how God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. How God is omnipotent, omnipotent, all-powerful, and how God is omnibenevolent, all-loving. Jesus highlights those things in this passage. Look at the first, that God is omniscient, that he's all-knowing. Look at verses 1 through 3, uh, Luke chapter 12. I'm going to pick up towards the end of verse 1. Jesus says to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So Jesus just highlighted how the Pharisees in, in Luke chapter 11 look at the outward obedience. They put a lot of emphasis on the rules and they neglect the inner part of their lives, their heart. And they think that they're all okay. And as there's pressure to conform, and maybe even to leave following Jesus, to conform to the teaching of the Pharisees, Jesus reminds them, wait a second, uh, God knows everything. He sees what's done in secret. He is all-knowing. And even saying that out loud should cause us to have this moment of, 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 of reverent awe for God, that he knows everything. Everything. Just think about that statement. 
all of us have thoughts that we have, I don't know, thunk, I don't know what the right word there is. Uh, We've all thought things that nobody else knows. Uh, We've all done things that nobody else is aware of, or maybe just a handful of people. And yet God sees it all and knows it all. And doesn't that have a way of helping us see just how small we are and how big God is? He knows everything. No one else has those qualifications. As we live maybe sometimes out of a fear for pleasing somebody or or winning someone's approval, they don't know everything. So you may conform your whole life and end up doing it in a way that leads you down a dark road and you're doing it for someone that has limited knowledge. No, God is unlimited knowledge. He knows everything. That, that's part of his qualifications for being the one that we fear above all else. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent is that word. Look what he says in verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after having that, have nothing more that they can do. Keep in mind, Jesus knows what's coming. He knows that physical harm is coming to him. He knows that there's persecution that's going to be coming on his disciples. He says, don't fear those who kill the body, and after that, have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He points people to see that God's power is so much greater than man's power. Yes, people can threaten your life. Yes, people can harm your physical body. But ultimately, if they kill you, this body is destroyed, but God still controls eternity. He raises their gaze to see that life is not just about the temporal, but it's about the eternal. And we struggle in this room even when thinking about the eternal. Our minds kind of glitch when we think about what is it like to have no end to something. Because so much of what we do is governed by um, finite restrictions. There are 24 hours in a day. There are seven days in a week. My appointments last 45 minutes. And to think about something that goes on and on and on and on is hard to comprehend. But God says that's what matters most. And so Jesus says, yes, they may hurt you. Yes, it may hurt your body. Yes, it may damage you in this season. But it doesn't control eternity. The one you should fear has power not only over this life, but over all of eternity. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. There should be just an absolute incredible measure of encouragement for you because of that. Because so much of our lives are governed by what might happen here. What's the pandemic do to my life? What will this next election mean for America? What does that diagnosis mean for my loved one who has cancer now? And we can get so caught up looking at the difficulties here that we forget that there is one who has so much, something that's so much greater in mind. Yeah, cancer may destroy this body and it may go. Yes, a virus may hurt you, it may harm you, it may take your loved one. Yes, an election may cause all kinds of things that you may not agree with in our country. But, but God still is more powerful than that and he has eternity in view. Why do we fear God? Because he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent. But even as we think about his power and his might, we we see this tender and gentle side of our God in verses 6 and 7. Jesus talks about how we should fear God, and then he turns to this in verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Two pennies, the equivalent of about a sixteenth of a day's wage in Jesus' day, could buy you five sparrows. Basically, Jesus' argument is that in the eyes of society, those sparrows aren't worth a whole lot. But look at what it says next. And not one of them is forgotten before God. God knows those sparrows. Those five matter to him. 
And then he says, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you're of more value than many sparrows. So if sparrows matter to God, how much more do you matter to God when he knows the number of hairs on your head? Now granted, for some of you, it doesn't take a lot of counting anymore. But it's just an expression of how much God cares about you and how much God cares for you, how much more he cares for you than any of the other things that he has created. This speaks of his love. What we've seen in Jesus even being sent to earth to come and to show us how to live, to teach us how to live, to die for us, that we might be reconnected with God, that speaks to God's love. He is omnibenevolent is the word for that. He is all-loving. So the reason why we should fear God and elevate him to a platform, allow him to have that position of the, 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 the true fear in our life is that he's the only one qualified. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving. And if we can hold on to that, that encourages us in the midst of whatever comes our way. You can lose your job tomorrow and you can have a fear over, okay, how am I gonna provide for my family? And all that weight can kind of come on you or you can redirect your eyes to him and say, listen, he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. You can get caught up in what Fox News has to say about the pandemic, what CNN has to say about the pandemic, or you can redirect your eyes to the one who is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-loving. You see how it can change things? And, and, and when we can focus on that, we can live these lives of inspiring faith. And then maybe one day someone's telling the story of us like we tell the story of Paul. Someone's telling the story of you like they tell the story of Polycarp or of Perpetua or, or of the believers in Iraq. Because holy and healthy fear will fuel a life of inspiring faith. And as Jesus looks out at his followers, his 12, the crowds that have been following him, he knows a time of testing is coming. And how will they endure it will come because they fear God above all else. They fear God above the fear of the Pharisees. They fear God above the fear of Rome. They fear God above the fear of being cast out or Jesus not coming back from the grave. They fear God above all else and he inspires them to stay faithful. What's inspiring you to stay faithful? This should be encouraging to us. In a little bit, we're going to sing the song, Whom Shall I Fear? Because we do have the God of angels, armies on our side. Who will you allow to have that prime position in your life? Will you allow the fear of God to be the beginning of wisdom for you? You may say, Craig, well, how, how do I get there? How do I get to the place where uh, I'm, I'm, I'm responding with this faith that's fueled by a holy fear? I think that if you're a disciple of Jesus, it comes by focusing on his promises. The beauty of God's timeless truth is it reminds us of who God is again and again and again and what God has to say about our life and the situations that we face. We, we, when we think about life, um, so often we get caught staring at the temporary struggles we have and we lose sight of the God that's working in the midst of all of them. When I was a kid, um, my mom had this phrase she would say to me. I thought I was just curious. I've always been a people watcher, um, but apparently sometimes I watched for a little too long, and my mom thought I was staring, and I probably was, and she would say, hey, Craig, stop gawking, because the gawk was just to stay kind of like staring at somebody, and, and my mom got uncomfortable with it, and she said, you need to basically redirect your attention. And I think something that God wants and needs for us to do as followers of Jesus in America is sometimes to stop gawking. We spend hours looking at news stories and reports and 
They overwhelm us and they depress us and they get us focused on things of this world and we miss the beauty of a God who's at work in the midst of it and a God who's been at work in the midst of it since the beginning of time. So we focus on his promises and start gawking, stop gawking at our problems. Would you focus on the lives of people that have gone before you and hear how they maintained faith? I am continually encouraged by stories of other believers across the world. That's why I think those resources like Voices of the Martyrs and Open Doors USA that I mentioned earlier are so important because you realize that there are other people just like you throughout the world who are remaining faithful in far more difficult circumstances. One of the things I love about the mission partners we have as a church, whether it's TCM and there are these uh, men and women who love Jesus all throughout Eastern Europe and Central Asia and, and now Africa, and, and they're following God in the midst of difficult times, and their, their faith inspires me to be faithful as they live out of this holy and healthy fear of God. I think about the stories I've heard from one of our mission partners in Haiti, uh, Pastor Roro, who leads Haitian Christian Outreach. He tells a story of a time when, as a young pastor, he's in the part of um, Southeast Haiti where our, the mission is in Peridot, and there's a woman who uh, had been treated by uh, witch doctors, like voodoo doctors, um, for some, some struggles she had. And, and people would say, no, you don't want to go into a home where people have had um, the, these voodoo leaders there. And, and, and here's Pastor Roe, who's willing to be bold and courageous and go in. Why? Because he fears God more than he fears anything else. And these stories are repeated. And we can repeat those stories. We can have our own stories of inspiring faith fueled by healthy and holy fear of God. So look to them. Be encouraged by them. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would say look to those encouraging stories. Sometimes we focus on all the reasons why we don't want to believe in God instead of focusing on all the reasons why really brilliant, influential, amazing people have chosen to follow him even to the very end. Uh, men like Polycarp and women like Perpetua and, and like these believers in Iraq. And maybe if you're at the place where you're like, I, I want to learn more about this God, the idea that there's a God who's all-knowing and all-powerful and, and all-loving, I want to know more about that, then I'd encourage you to take that next step. Reach out to a believer that you know, someone who's already a follower of Jesus. If you don't have that, when, then email us, connect at lebanonchristian.org, and let us connect you and help you begin that journey of following Jesus, to experience that for yourself. I want us to be a church that's characterized by bold faith, fueled by a holy fear of God. And that's what Jesus wanted for his disciples. And he wants that for us. So Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of, of the Holy One is understanding. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word, and thank you for your truth. I got to thank you for Luke's gospel. I thank you that he knew he had to write to help bring certainty. God, as, as the first recipients of this gospel, lived in a difficult time. Contemporaries with Paul and Polycarp. God, they were encouraged by the story of Jesus' life to be faithful to have this holy fear of you because of who you are. And God, may we do the same, that we see who you are and allow, to, allow that to affect the way we, we live in this world. Thank you, Father. And it's in your name we pray, amen.